0: G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au T's and C's apply in South Wales, authorisation number TP slash 01005.
1: Welcome to the Conversations That could. with Dermot Brereton. Do you have a mate that doesn't seem great? Maybe their team is up, but they're still down. A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask Are You OK? Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You OK.
0: Welcome to the Conversations That Could. I'm Dermot Brereton. This is a show where we talk to people from across the sporting landscape and discuss issues surrounding mental health the struggles, the successes, and ways in which we can all support each other through the challenges that life presents. Our guest today had an impressive NRL career which spanned some nine years, culminating in his 150th game for the St George Illawarra Dragons. While on the field, Dan excelled. Off the field, he was battling with his own mental health. No stranger to feelings of isolation, no stranger to feelings of loneliness, as he came to terms with a serious mental health diagnosis and struggled to find the right kind of support to help him through. Not one to let adversity get the better of him, he went on to create the Mental Health Movement, which aims to help businesses and organisations build a mentally healthy and supportive workplace.
2: It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Dan Hunt to the Conversations That Could. Thank you very much. Very, very grateful for this opportunity. And uh, look, definitely it's a very interesting, challenging time we're all living in, in particular in uh, New South Wales and New Victoria. I want to acknowledge that the struggle is real for a lot of people, a lot of families, a lot of organisations, a lot of communities. We will absolutely delve into that. So for the
0: Victorians and uh, a little bit like me learning about NRL people, mate, uh, for the Victorians, tell us who Dan Hunt is, tell us where he came from and how he succeeded in life and what was the chosen field to start with.
2: Yeah, look, I I grew up uh, in DAPTO. Um, If anyone does have a bit of a punt on the the dish lickers, uh, (laughs) the DAPTO dogs is probably what it's synonymous for. Uh, But, look, grew up there um, with with, with my family, Um, obviously, Went through some some challenges growing up in and around domestic violence um, and was probably brought up uh, the way in which a lot of us have been, which is that get on with it, get over it and harden up mentality and probably lacking a bit of identity, a bit of purpose and belonging as a, as a young, young man, young adolescent, I was a little bit lost. Uh, Very angry, very probably isolated myself, pushed the closest people to me away, um, hanging around the wrong crowd, making some pretty poor decisions for myself. And it wasn't until, I guess, I got sort of introduced to sport, but in particular rugby league, which no different to AFL and a lot of sports, it it provides young people a a chance to, to connect with other people, to do more positive things, see more positive things. And it did give me that sense of identity, purpose and belonging. And I was able to obviously channel a lot of the struggles from my past into that, but that stuff from my upbringing, it still affected me. I'd never dealt with it. I just swept it under the carpet and pretended like it wasn't there. And from now being educated, if sweeping things under the carpet and pretending them like they're not there, that's not dealing with them or managing them or, or getting that support for them. And they can come back and sort of affect you at a time when you're you probably least expected. And for myself, obviously, I was lucky enough uh, with a, a, obviously a lot of hard work to, to make my NRL debut with the, the Dragons. But as you know, it's no different to any other workplace. You're coming in there and there's 30 blokes. Um, I was a young sort of 18-year-old. And you're testing yourself physically, mentally, emotionally every single day. And oh, the culture we come into was pretty pretty tough. You had to earn your stripes. You, you keep your mouth shut. And, and, and you've you got to show by actions, which, which we did. But for me, it would be sort of some days I'd come in, I'd be the, the, the joker, the life of the party. My nickname was Bubsy. And I was probably the loose one and things like that. And then I'd play well, train well, and, and things were going well. But then there'd be other days or weeks I'd come in, I could hardly hold a, hold a conversation with someone. I'd be blowing up at people, I'd train poorly, play poorly, and I'd be coming home and just in, in in a really dark place. And I just had no understanding about what was going on. But for me, there's no chance I was doing that, putting my hand up, because that's not how I was conditioned. It wasn't something that I would had experience in. And I thought it was a sign of weakness. I played in the front row, and look, we had to be kind of those enforcers. You had to do the the, the tough stuff. And if you're struggling mentally, I thought that that was, that was a weakness and I didn't think I'd get picked in the side or people would treat me differently. So I just kept it to myself. Um, I, I rode probably the roller coaster pretty hard um, and some of the, my teammates probably joked about that a little bit. Before I got diagnosed, it was whereabouts on the roller coaster are you today? And as you know, life and professional sport, they're a roller coaster within themselves. So for me, yeah, it was very up, very down and – uh, it probably wasn't until 2010 um, or 2009, sorry, when Wayne Bennett come um, and he was my, my coach and my mentor um, and someone that has helped me massively over the years. But in 2010, it kind of come crashing down uh, that year. I, I ruptured my Achilles tendon in round 22, I think. We were the favourites to win the premiership that year. And as you know, when footy was good, life's a lot better. That stuff from your past didn't affect you as much, but, uh, I was out for the rest of the season that year, had to get surgery for the first time, and it wasn't a pleasant injury, rupturing your Achilles tendon. And for me, uh, obviously introduced to painkillers uh, to take away the physical pain. Um, what happened, I now understand it, but at the time I didn't. All that stuff, the domestic violence, the the trauma, the things that I went through growing up, it come back and hit me like a tonne of bricks. I didn't know how to deal with it. Didn't know how to cope with it. Didn't know how to manage it. And there's no way I was putting my hand up. So... Uh, look, I, I turned to self-medication. A lot of things that I've seen growing up um, through drugs, through alcohol, through prescription medication, isolation, anger, alcohol. And over that sort of eight-month period, it put me in, in the worst headspace I'd ever been in. And to be honest with you, I was shit-scared to, to ask for help. Uh, I was shit-scared. I didn't know how I was going to get out of it, but I was just numbing the pain I was in. I was trying to escape reality, and, um, it, it, yeah, it didn't serve me well. Uh, it wasn't until... I guess it was a conversation I had with my mum and with Wayne Bennett that got me to see things a little bit differently to realize that struggling is part of the human experience and it's okay to struggle, but it is also okay to seek support. It's not a sign of weakness. It literally just means you want to be doing better than what you are. And those conversations I had with my mum and Wayne got me to see things a little bit differently. It did take a period of time, but I realized that I was in a very dark place and to the point where I almost didn't end up here. And I needed the clinical professional help, but I just didn't know how to do it. So our welfare officer at the club was obviously um, able to link us in with the Black Dog Institute. So that was where in 2010, I went there, spent some time up there and I did get a formal diagnosis um, of a mental illness. I was diagnosed with type two bipolar disorder in 2010. And from that, I can honestly say it was other than having my kids and meeting my wife and, and getting married, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it gave me some context, some understanding. It drew a line in the sand for me because I didn't know anything about mental health or mental illness back then. And that line in the sand started me on my mental health journey. I, I, you're reading the textbooks at the moment. People, say One in two people suffer with a mental illness in their lifetime, one in five in any 12-month period. Language is powerful and I don't, suffer with a mental illness anymore I just manage one and and that's that can be achievable you can live with a mental illness and be mentally healthy for me I guess after the diagnosis I had to spend time in a rehabilitation um, clinic and I had to I guess strip things back and I had to confront a lot of the things from my past and my upbringing that I'd never addressed I did it in the safe environment with the mental health professionals and that wasn't easy uh, obviously detoxing wasn't easy and through that period I learned three things that I guess I've taken away and tried to implement in my life as much as I can. And that's being accountable for your actions and your behaviours and taking responsibility. But it's also being honest with yourself and honest with the people around you. Because how do you get the support you need if you're not being honest? And they're probably things that have really helped me. And then building the right support network. So I had to get certain people out of my life. I had to bring certain people into my life. And the support networks, were massive. The self-awareness was massive. And then I guess doing things proactively where when things were good, you sort of just rolled with it and then you wouldn't make a change or seek the support or put something in place until you hit rock bottom or shit hit the fan where I learned to put things in place proactively, which helped me lead to better outcomes where I still struggle. I still fall down. I still make mistakes. And the thing about it is though, you can't stop the struggle. That's part of who we are. And part of the human experience is struggle, but what we can do is better manage that struggle and not know that we don't have to do that struggle on our own. And that's probably the piece from my own experience. Um, and then the other part is I did go to TAFE and uni, broke the front row as curse and, and got a degree uh, <laughs> to put with the, the lived experience, but it's to, people just don't know. And we don't know what we don't know, but if we can start to educate people, put the options in front of them, change their perceptions, People can start seeing things differently, they can start doing things differently, they can start being different and we can get different outcomes. And in particular, you look at the suicide rates in Australia, nine Australians are taking their own life every single day. Seven of those are men. And I really do feel if we can help people cope, provide them a bit of hope and link them to the support, we can change those statistics. And. I don't know if that answers where I kind of come from Mm. in a nutshell um, and and some of the things, but, yeah, look, happy to unpack anything and everything you you feel the the listeners and people would would get something out of. Well, Mate,
0: we've only got about 40 minutes. (laughs) So, yeah, that is a story (laughs) and a half. So let me start by saying the first thing I hear from your story then is a perfect storm to create somebody who's mentally unstable. Having witnessed domestic violence, having uh, charged into a fraternity, i.e. a a sport where the basic premise of the sport is to full-on confront contact every play, not occasionally, every play. You are looking to charge into and brutalise other opponents, and that's a conditioning of the mind as well. On top of that, when injury comes, you then get a dependency on uh, prescription drugs. Am I fair to say that? Yep. Yep. That, to me, is the perfect storm and some of the major ingredients to make instability in a young man.
2: Definitely. Totally, totally agree.
0: So how about we unpack a little bit of that first? The, you said you saw domestic violence. At what sort of level and what are we talking about here and how did it affect your mindset as a young man?
2: you know, I, I just think that obviously your, your father's your your male role model yep. and just seeing the way yeah dealt with things reacted to things and then obviously yeah the, the violence both emotional and physical definitely you your kids are a product of their environment we're all a product of our environment and it probably embedded the the fear of failure um into myself um and and probably that culminated with a lot of that internal pressure you put on yourself um the expectation you're not good enough the negative self-talk um and what you see growing up is i guess the the standards you set for yourself and it wasn't until i guess you you get out on your own as a man and you make your own mistakes and things like that and look i've got no like obviously yeah my my, my dad struggled himself so it's yeah, that's just, just for me. It was probably what you are seen and what you experienced definitely impacted the way I saw the world, the way I perceived it, the way I interacted with it, um, which obviously culminated. It was one of the factors or the contributing factors um, that obviously led to my, my diagnosis. And you look at some of the statistics, I think it's um, children that grow up in domestic violence are six times more likely to experience mental illness as an adult. So extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And. I think that's the thing as well it's not just the physical it's the emotional as well um, where it's you can't really see that and if you can't see something it's not tangible it's well you don't really think it's an issue then do you Have you and I and I find this
0: in a lot of wonderful people they've seen some of their parents misgivings they've learned from them they believe that's the acceptance but then in their own uh, generation they've changed they, they've broken the change. Do you forgive your parents? Yeah, definitely.
2: Um, and look, uh, there, there's got to be a way that you, for, for myself, I, I acknowledge that as I said earlier, people, they don't know what they don't know. They're only doing the best with what they've been given and what they've got, and, and things have changed from when I grew up in sort of the 80s and 90s to where things are at now. So it's it's definitely, there's no blame from from myself or anything to do with that. There's an acknowledgement piece. Yeah, definitely, and and I had to acknowledge that. Um, and, and that's probably one of the, the first things. I, I hate to use the word admit because, oh, you got to admit You've got something wrong with you. Like, well, you haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. So I like to say I acknowledge um, what happened growing up, how much how it impacted me, along with all those other contributing factors, and then acknowledging that lays that foundation for yourself to be able to move forward, and 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 try to be a better version of yourself. I think the the mould that society thinks that you're supposed to be to where you grow up sometimes it's like putting a square block in a round hole, and it doesn't match up. And there's a lot of yeah, misunderstanding, lack of awareness, education, and when we're taught to not talk about these things, not get advice or guidance or someone else, not seek support, not understand what works and what doesn't work, you you kind of it's very cyclical. It's it's the struggle. It's the roller coaster again. Um, but there's there's controls and supports and things you can put in place to better manage that that ride on that roller coaster. I I definitely learned that the the hard way. Can I ask how a young man uh, you 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 walked into the club at?
0: 18, 19 and by 2021 you're, you're 6 foot 1 you're 17 stone, you're playing in the front row. How does the king of the jungle of that size, how does he put his hand up? How does he, how does he go to the
2: experts and say I think I've got an issue here. How, how does he take the veil away? The veil or the mask is probably well the brave face is what I wore uh, and that was that, I won't say it's an alter ego but it was the, the Bubsy, the, the joke of the life of the party kind of you're dismissing what's actually going on but I knew that I was in a bad spot I knew that I'm not going to say normal but I just knew I wasn't quite right and then obviously with the injury and then what that added and then the the self-medication piece which you do escape reality and it does numb the pain for a short period of time but then it's a very very slippery slope for myself so I guess understanding that and then acknowledging that was part of it but then the other part was Having two people in my life that actually got me to the point of seeking that support. So the conversation, the first one was with my mum, where she'd come over. She was obviously worried. Her nineteen, or was I then, twenty-two year old son was obviously struggling. You could see he wasn't his normal self in a dark place, and she was worried. And she'd come over. She said something to me I'll never forget. She said, "I've I've seen some changes within yourself, and and I'm worried. I've seen your father go down this road, and you, you you're starting to show signs and symptoms, and and I'm worried." And it was kind of. I was trying to break the cycle, I was trying to be a better version of myself and that kind of hit home and shifted my perception because one thing I have learned, you can't force someone to seek support. You can't force someone to make a change unless they're in crisis. They need to go through their own life event, their own catalyst that gets them to the point of wanting to seek support or seeing things differently or doing things differently. And for me, that first conversation with my mom definitely hit home with me and got me to see the impacts of my behaviors, my actions on myself, but the people around me. And then the next one was with wayne i was coming into training i was in rehab at the time and there was no one else injured so i was training by myself um obviously the teams won the grand final it's it's yeah so you kind of feel like you're a little bit forgotten where you you are left out which yeah that's all part of it but wayne identified those changes um and obviously He's, he's the best at looking after his players. Uh, he doesn't just care about the player, he cares about the person. And for me, he just checked in with me. This was way before any Are You Okay Day and and, and asked if I was okay. And I just remember that was sort of where I broke down and, and I shared stuff with him from my past and my upbringing that I'd never really spoke to anyone about. And it was kind of from there I realised that I, I was struggling. I did need the support and... Um, yeah, with my, my, my partner, who's my wife now, um, I was able to realise that and then had the courage to, yeah, book in with the, the Black Dog Institute and, and go and get that professional support. And I think for a lot of people, though, they feel that if they do reach out for support, they are going to be diagnosed with a, a mental illness or a mental health disorder, where seeking support doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be diagnosed. Um, obviously, you can see in parts of my story, there's those elements with the biology, with the psychology and the the environment or the social that Add all those different contributing factors um but from there it was those conversations and you can sort of see behind us but our slogan at the mental health movement is starting the conversation because how many other people wear that brave face the veil or the mask you don't know the shoes that they've walked in or what they're walking in and that conversation or that check-in might be the difference it might provide exactly what it did for me and and that's where that's where it's at
0: we're talking to and learning from Dan Hunt, former NRL champion. And if our conversation has raised some issues with you, please, please call Lifeline anytime on 13 11 14.
1: Welcome back to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brady. Mate, not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you OK?
0: Welcome back to the Conversations That Could for Are You OK? I'm Dermot McBereton and my guest tonight is former NRL champion Dan Hunt, who played 150 games with the St George Illawarra Dragons. Dan, you mentioned that your mum said she saw a few things in you. Out there somewhere, there'll be a mother who wants to know what your mother saw, who wants to know that, what do I look for?
2: What do I recognise? I'm thinking something's not right. What did she see? And it's a very, very, very good question. And I think it's not even just for mothers, it's friends, it's fellow workers, it's teammates, it's family members, it's loved ones, it's yourself. And probably the the simplest way to put it and the way which we educate at Mental Health Movement to identify the potential signs and symptoms of a mental health struggle is something that we call the baseline or the baseline method where... You know what someone is like. You know what yourself is like. And that's what we call the baseline. So how you wake up, how much you sleep or don't sleep, how you interact with people, your appearance, your, your personality, your mood, your motivation, your energy, how much you drink and don't drink, your productivity, all these different things, that's what you're usually like. And then you think about your loved ones or family members or kids or whatever it is, you know what they're usually like, how, how they wake up, what, how they connect with you, how they communicate, what their moods, personalities like, and, and all these different elements. And if we notice a change in what someone is usually like, what we say is a change is worth a checking because it's not because they got out of bed on the wrong side, which is a bit of a throwaway comment we have in Australia. It's because something's happened in their life that's impacted and ch- impacted their mental health, the way they think, act and feel. So that 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 changes and that's what we can identify. So if it is a, a mother looking at their son or their daughter or a, a husband or wife, we're pretty good at picking up those signs of people that aren't their usual self. But we kind of dismiss it or we don't act upon it or we haven't got the training or the education of, if I do start the conversation and ask, are you okay? And they say, no, it's like, well, shit, what do I say then? What if I make it worse? Or then and, and people try and then silver line it where it's like, oh, it'll be all okay. There's so many worse people off, which kind of adds fuel to the fire as well. You're dismissing people's struggles. So I think to, to answer your question, it's if you can identify a change in someone or a change within yourself, A change is worth a check-in, and and it's time to start doing some things a bit differently, encouraging someone else to do some things a bit differently, seek that support, letting them know that they're not alone, not judging them, not, I I guess, uh, you want to be empathetic, not sympathetic. Um, There's there's so many things that you can do once you've identified that change.
0: We spoke to Darius Boyd last week, and, and I'm now, two weeks in a row, speaking to young men who have... Uh, had it pointed out, have also recognised in themselves things aren't quite right through no fault of their own background, their own family. As you said, your parents only know what they know. But you've both come into the reaches of a really strong man, a, a guiding man, a man who looks at making people better people as well as making them good sportsmen, good footballers. And your coach must have had some influence in this
2: area for you. Definitely, and I think that was what Wayne was so big about. It's not just about being the best player you can be. It's about being the best person you can be. And I got it a little bit back then, but it probably wasn't until I retired and got out of footy altogether um, and and got out on my own and I had to start making my own decisions. And you weren't sort of guided by what the club says and what you can and can't do. And when you go out on your own, you you, kind of, like you you, you do make your own mistakes, but you learn. and, And all those things that you learn as a young man, Start to I guess the dots start to join It starts to make a bit of sense and I still stay in contact with, with with Wayne and I think the 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 key around it is he is big on making sure you kind of got your ducks in a row off the field so whether it's your relationships your your family stuff your your finances he's big on making sure that you you. We don't call it a plan b but a transition plan so he was the big one that got me to go to university and 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 tafe to study because we're not going to be around forever playing and i was very lucky that i did that because i got my career cut short in 2015 with a bad knee injury um forced in medical retirement at only 28. so front rowers are only kind of coming into their prime at 28. so for myself it was um i was very lucky that i had wayne um in my my life at that period in time um, because he yeah, he laid a good foundation or helped me lay a good foundation for obviously what I'm able to do um, now with the mental health movement, but also as a friend and a husband and a father um, and a son because, yeah, look, I wasn't the best person probably five or six years ago um, and I wasn't the best version of myself and I definitely aren't who I am today and I am I don't have any regrets or beat myself up about that anymore. It's just... I did the best with what I knew at that point in time. But if you're not happy with who you are and what you're doing, you can always change and you can always get the support and you can always get the knowledge and the application to be able to be a better version of yourself. And at the end of the day, we're not always going to be the best versions of ourselves. We are going to make mistakes and fall down, and that's okay. But it's about what can you then do to pick yourself back up and at least keep moving forward. In our circumstance, a slightly different way to the guys, you, the way you guys come
0: through your grades. We get to a footy club, a professional footy club, and you play the reserves grade footy. And I was still only 17 when playing reserves grade footy. And I said to my coach, I'm going to be late to training. I've got an exam coming up, still at school. And he said, hey, well, we're coming up to finals. And he said, take the night off. Just finish the exam. Get that right. Get get everything in, in, in place first, much like a Wayne Bennett. What are some of the things that you, you've touched on it? What are some of the things, what are some of the life skills that he gave to you? And somewhere out there also will be a local coach thinking, oh, I just have to get everything out of my players for the team. Sometimes you've got to get everything for your players as well. What What can they learn from a Wayne Bennett?
2: I think the, the key is as well is the different coaches you've also had and mentors or, or things growing up. And I'm not going to say compare them, but like sort of the, the, the things that you took away, the things that you you did well with that or whatever that may be. But probably the biggest ones with Wayne was just honesty with, with yourself first and foremost, and then um, obviously honesty with, with the playing group and, and, and big on not letting your, your, your teammate or your, your mate down. But that that honesty piece is huge because you look at, did you do everything right during the week? Did you eat the right foods? Did you get enough sleep? Did you cut the alcohol out? Did you engage well with your family? Did you put the extras in? Did you read the tip sheet? Did, did you do all these things? And at the end of the day, if you did all those things and you're honest with yourself, and he talks about that in his books with the man in the mirror, and that's what it's all about. And I look back all the, the the challenging things that happened in my career and it didn't e- eventually end out the way that I wanted it to, but the times that were in that 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 shed after those games, whether we won, lost or drawed, um, if we could look at each other and know that we, we put everything on the line, but then also, I guess, look at yourself in the mirror, um, that, that was probably the, the biggest things that I learned from him. And We are the world's greatest justifiers, us human beings, and we can convince ourselves of anything, but when you actually are honest with yourself, you get some pretty good insights in what you need to start doing, stop doing, or some changes you need to make. I'm Dermot Brereton, and our guest is Dan Hunt, and this is
0: The Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. When your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay?
1: More with Dan in a moment. Welcome back to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. When your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, Are You OK?
0: Welcome back to the Conversations That Could for Are You OK? I'm Dermot Brereton and my guest tonight is former NRL Dragon Dan Hunt. There was a period there where it was regarded as a drought for St George Illawarra between premierships. And you're a young man playing his third, fourth season, playing very good footy. You're in the front row. You're looking forward to playing in the favourites, premiership, somewhere down the track in the back half of the season. You ruptured your Achilles, was it? And, you, and that was even in a warm-up, I believe. So you're a young man looking forward to that, and you're denied the opportunity and the chance for when the Dragons eventually break that drought later that year. And at this stage, you're a young man. And from what I'm gathering, angry, you've got some unfinished business in processing yourself. How do you get through that? What did it do to you? And what did it open you up to?
2: Very well put question. I don't think anyone's ever put it to me like that. And I think it's exactly that. At that point in time, I had a real victim mentality. And this was even before the injury, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. um, And then after the injury, and then being a, like it was such a good group of, of of players and coaches and staff. We it was it was such a good environment from two thousand and nine to two thousand and eleven, and they're some of my best memories of rugby league. And and yeah, a lot of the the bad things or the challenging things that happened. There was a lot of success, but what it did do to me obviously was that's why obviously you you want to play at the top grade in your sport and and you make that goal with the NRL. But then the next thing is you want to win a flag or a premiership. I know that the AFL call it a flag, so. We, we over- go for anything, mate. <laughs> just the win. <laughs> um, and then when you are going good, and that was probably the thing, it was all that shit from my past wasn't affecting me as much because we, we were winning. I think we won 11 straight that year. Like things were going good and it's like your focus is there. That stuff's in the background. And then it was that, yeah, it was literally that afternoon and um, believe it or not, the player that came in for me was Alex McKinnon. um and it was, it was just like carpet was ripped out from underneath you. And I just remember um, – I, I was going through some challenges with my partner at the time, and she was the first one to greet me when I come out of the the sheds on on crutches um, and was just there um from, from, from like obviously from day dot, but just there from me, and I just remember like crutching out to her, and a fan come up and asked for an autograph, and I just burst into tears and then sort of went home and it was just yeah, just very lost, very empty. And cause I'd never experienced a, a surgery before you didn't really know what was ahead. And then it was kind of I just retreated. I didn't know how to express myself. I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know how to process emotion. And for me, it was just the emotional watering can just filled up resentment, hate, guilt, fear, worry. You gave a brief synopsis then about what retreated was. what what, what is retreated within within you? What 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 is it, what is it really? Well, I isolated myself from people. Um, I, I, I stopped communicating the, the little amount that I, I, I did and I lived inside my head. i got a mate of mine. He, he runs the Rise Foundation and he's actually got it tattooed on top of his head, the war inside my head. That's what it was. It was it was the overthinking. It was the scenarios, the procrastinating, the, the worrying and, and, and all of this. And that wouldn't stop. So for me, when you started to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol, well, that calmed that head noise down. It kind of did put you a bit at peace, but that is a very, very slippery slope. Um, and for me, it put me there very quickly, put me in the worst place that I'd ever been in. And it just adds fuel to a fire that's already raging. And then you have people like what we said before that identified those changes. They're checking in with you. They're saying, look, are you okay? I'm worried about you." And you just like, just leave me alone. Like I'm fine. Like, And you just keep pushing them away, pushing them away. But it's not because you didn't want their help. You're pushing them away because you kind of, you, you want to see how far they go just to know that they're actually there for you. Um, as I, I don't know as weird as that may sound and then I just got to a point where my cup was just absolutely overflowing and as much as what that did to me like missing that grand final the injury the diagnosis the self-medication the substance use issues and all of that but someone said would you have played in that grand final but you wouldn't be able to be doing what you're doing now with mental health movement it wasn't even a hard answer it was, yeah, I'd miss that grand final every day of the week because what I'm doing now, I really, and I know this sounds a bit cliche, but I honestly, I, I find more identity, purpose and belonging in what I'm doing now than I did when I was playing footy. And that's no disrespect to professional athletes or it's just for me, that's just, yeah, that's, that's just how I feel. It's
0: a, it's a great point. It's a point of self-realisation, isn't it, about what you are designed for. So, and you might have been exceptional at a sport and played at the highest highest level. We had a bloke, Jimmy Steins, you would have heard of him, and he had his Reach Foundation. And Jimmy, by the end, who unfortunately terribly passed uh, because of cancer, uh, Jimmy had this self-recognition. Oh, I might have become one of the all-time greats at this football club, Melbourne Football Club, but really, in the end, football gave me the opportunity to get recognition, to release myself to my calling in life. And that was to help people with his Reach Foundation. So it's an amazing
2: self-realisation, isn't it? It is, yeah. That's the, the challenges you go through within your career. But then you look at the transition from professional sport into the next chapter of your life. A lot of players struggle with that change where your identity purpose and belonging is taken away and not every player goes into media or goes into coaching or goes into training and things like that and there's a lot of players that 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 self-realization it can take years and and sometimes decades to acknowledge that that struggle that hole that can sometimes be left within ourselves or that void and because of the barriers to seeking support because of the stereotype the judgment the stigma the all these things that stop people seeking support, the conditioning and, and all of that, they, they suffer in silence for a very long time and transcend even more. It's not even just professional athletes. It's anyone that goes through that big change in life, that big adversity where that identity, purpose and belonging is taken away and that void is there. Change and challenge and adversity is always gonna happen. But when we do experience that, that's the time it's time to connect. It's time to reach out. It's time to put things in place. It's time to seek that support to help you through that and not do that on your own. You will come out the other side. Some of the head spaces and dark places that I have been in, one of the things that my, my psychologist talks to me about is you got to say to yourself, it will pass. It will pass, but you don't have to do it on your own. And when you start feeling like that, that's the time to connect. As much as you don't want to, that's the time to connect.
0: I, I would imagine that there's a case for actually allowing yourself to be vulnerable as well. I'm Dermot Burton, and our guest tonight is former NRL dragon Dan Hunt. And this... Is the Conversations That Could for Are You OK? Brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You OK?
1: Welcome back to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate, not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, Are You OK?
0: Welcome back to The Conversations That Could for Are You OK. I'm Dermot Burden and our guest is former NRL player Dan Hunt, whose own diagnosis with a mental health condition in 2010 paved the way for the creation of his company, The Mental Health Movement, which aims to build resilience and empowers employees, managers, supervisors and frontline leaders to better identify, manage and support mental health and its challenges within the workplace. I love to learn, and this is a little adjunct to this, you were diagnosed with type 2 bipolar disorder. Can you can you help me understand what that is and how it is expressed?
2: Yeah. Bipolar is a mood disorder. There is type 1 and type 2. So type 1, uh, it, it can be, look, and everyone experiences it differently, but it can be a little bit more acute. That individual um, can experience what they call manic episodes with um, real depressive states. Um, and they can happen over extended periods of time. Sometimes those individuals can experience what they call psychosis as well. Um, type 2 is what they call, we experience... Well, uh, type 2 bipolar disorder is more what they call hypomania, so not quite as high and the depressive states, but sometimes it can be a little bit more frequent. So for myself, it's uh, I've kept a mood journal for, for a number of years now and, and it definitely happens in cycles um, for, for myself. How do you diarise a mood journal? We've got like these little tools, uh, the mental health Continuum, so it's a bit of a check-in tool. Uh, so I use that to check in where I'm at um sort of some of the thoughts that i've been having some of the feelings that i've been having and then obviously you you document that with your date and then the things that you've also been putting in place for yourself or things you haven't been putting in place for yourself so over a period of time you can start to identify different trends and um matthew mcconaughey talks about in his book green lighting where we tend to uh we tend to really critique ourselves when we're going through the tough times and all the things we're not doing but when we're going through the green lights as he calls it as opposed to the red or the orange lights we don't tend to reinforce the things that we do that make us feel better to help us i guess when 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 we're going well so having that mood journal it really uh it, it keeps me honest um uh, and, and, yeah, and, and obviously having the support and talking to them. Like I have frequent conversations with my wife. Have you noticed any changes in what I'm like? How have I been travelling? Have I been okay? Well, I've got Chris Houston, who's my, my number one at, at Mental Health Movement, and I always check in with him or he will check in with me and say, look, man, you haven't been training the last couple of weeks. Look, I've noticed some changes. What What's happening? And having those checkpoints as well, um, it, <clears throat> like I can't control where my moods are gonna be on a daily basis, a weekly basis or a monthly basis. But what I can do is put the five percenters in place around support, self-care, exercise, nutrition, sleep, uh, talking to my clinical support, um, limiting your sort of your alcohol and having all these different things in place where it might make you 5%, 10% better, but you do that consistently over time, you could potentially be 20, 30, 40% better and that's some things that put I put in place that really helped me and and that awareness um, and education to to manage my type two bipolar disorder. and i I wouldn't change it for the world because i'm I'm able to be creative, I'm able to I guess see things that other people might't be able to see, but I'm also able to empathise with people because I understand what it's like. Those connections can really help help people see within themselves and potentially start their mental health journey as well. I suppose back in the day, most of us, we go to work and there's a there's a
0: benefit for going to work. We get paid and then we look after our lifestyle from getting paid. But these days, businesses are looking at productivity is more than just getting people to work harder. It's getting them to work happy. It's getting them to work contented while they are at work. And that is where you and your business, mental health movement, come in. I would imagine you'd like to uh, tell us, Some of your um, dedications and some of your directions,
2: your charter for MHM. I hate. The sales pitch, so it's it's definitely nothing like that. I think the the why why we do it well, obviously playing in a professional sporting environment, it's a workplace in itself. And when you do that at the highest level, it's no different to a a, I guess a corporate environment or an underground mining company. And there's there's the challenges, there's the culture, there's the leadership, there's the sacrifice, the hard work, all all these different things that come into play. And I think in particular, professional athletes don't realise the skills that they learn, even though it's not a degree in rugby league or communication or all those different things but there's a set of skills that are there that can be transcended so for myself obviously having those studies um and and the lived experience uh what what i wanted to do um a lot of the work placement that i did um you you sort of see the 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 gaps or the the challenges within the space and i guess the biggest one was just people's understanding of mental health in particular around understanding if you've got a brain in your head, you have a mental health and the better you look after your mental health, the better you look after yourself. And what is our mental health? It's the way we think, act and feel. It's how we handle things. Um, our Ability to maintain meaningful relationships. Mental illness is a little bit different. Um, as we, we can see, it is on a continuum, but it's a little bit different. Um, so from those experiences and then the education i i just seen there was a big uh a big gap there around the proactive approach towards the, the space everything was very reactive which it has to be don't get me wrong so from there i got like sort of some business coaches on board we did some some research in the space in particular in the workplace and from that we developed what we call our mental health workplace blueprint um so that's four stages awareness education training and resources and what we specialise or what our vision is or mission is to develop and create mentally healthy supportive workplaces, organisations and individuals. And we do that through those four stages. So if you're a workplace, you've got to get some level of awareness, literacy and education across the whole organisation. And that can be a big mining company of 2000 employees, or it could be a a small real estate of of 10 people. What is the benefit of getting everyone across the workspace educated? So the, the key there is obviously changing the perceptions. And, and having a greater understanding of mental health. And then when people have greater understanding, they can start to do things a little bit better in managing themselves, building that resilience or being a better support to someone else. Yeah. So there's obviously a lot of factors at play there. Then we wanna look at, we wanna improve help seeking behaviors. So breaking down those barriers, removing that stigma and getting people confident in seeking support because in Australia, approximately 54% of Australians don't seek support when they go through a mental health struggle, mental health or, or experience a mental illness. They suffer in silence as I did. So those key elements help there. But then the other aspects is around the leadership, having leadership through the accredited training, the best practice training so that they can better identify a struggle, no different to how you spoke about the mum identifying that for their son, the leader identifying the changes in their worker and knowing how to start and hold those conversations as opposed to just performance reviewing them straight off the bat. Okay, because there could be some other contributing factors outside of work. Um. So getting the leadership trained up and then obviously the sustainability piece, because you don't just come in and do a two hour workshop and then everything's sweet. There's got to be a sustainability through peer support, through digital offerings, through like EAP. So we provide that that support for workers as well. Um, and I guess where the space is heading is the there's legislative changes through work, health and safety um, with, with things that are happening there. So that's uh, what we're evolving into as well at Mental Health Movement. But. We're very lucky. We've got a team of 12. Um, we've worked with just over 350,000 Australian workers um, from 115 different companies and 75 of those are still our, our current clients and some bloody good people in the Australian workplace that we've been able to connect with and help and we just want to keep driving forward in, in, in doing, doing what our vision and mission, mission is.
0: If we cast a, a critical eye in reverse, we must have missed on so many wonderful careers because our
2: mindset of that's weak, back in the day cut so many people short it's funny you say that i only uh, read the article about luke longley not being involved in the last dance documentary and then there was a bit of a piece there about the struggles he went through and how he now says if he would be a better basketball player now than what he was because he understands himself what works what doesn't work and how he ticks and that really connected and and resonated with me when i when i did read that that shows the places he's in because he's he's obviously acknowledging and accepted the, the outcomes that happened there and um, yeah I, I got a little bit of inspiration out of that and I think as you said how many players did you play with that would be better as if they just understood themselves and some people they understand themselves at an earlier age or they've had different experiences and supports where it takes other people a, a lot longer and I think that's probably something we need to realise everyone's on a different journey but everyone has a story and their story does matter. I
0: know a few of the NRL boys a little bit Dated. Um, you broke their circle of trust. You went and got a degree. What? What would Blocker reach? Ah. Paul Harrigan, the chief, uh, uh, Cementhead, David Gillespie. These blokes. What would they be saying about you? An erudite forward.
2: <laughs> the big chief's actually one. of, He was my childhood hero growing up. Yeah, I've got one of his jerseys signed in me uh, at my house and. I think it's rugby league players in general. There's not too many good news news headlines, <laughs> is there? Negative obviously sells, but there's a lot of good people in rugby league and AFL and sure sport that are doing good things. And what did I watched the other day, it was a bit about the Olympics and it brings out the, the best of humanity. And I, like that, that saying really, really, really hit home. And I think sport's something that so many people across the world connect with. And very grateful to be able to do it, even though, yeah, I scored a few more tries than most front rows as well. Though, I <laughs>
0: there is Just, an argument to happen. say, look, football clubs can be very masculine and toxic masculine on occasion. But if you've got something wrong and you're at a good club, there's probably no better place to be than at a sporting club for a young person.
2: Yeah, I I definitely agree. And a big part of what we're trying to do in our local area is um, educate and train up coaches, um, staff, players, parents within where started out in rugby league because a lot of times people have got tough upbringings and and it's like school is their escape or sport's their escape. And if you've got people that know how to create that supportive environment, it's going to save and change people's lives. Um, and it's, it's, it's bang on because the whole premise of team sport is not letting your teammate down. And when they have fallen down, it's about picking them back up. And the Anzac spirit, everything like that, And I think that that transcends in the the professional or the, the, the winning circle, but it's also off the field and supporting yeah. your, your teammates when 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 they're there as well. And I can honestly say in the last 11 years now from being diagnosed, the NRL has done such a fantastic job. Paul Heptonstall um, at the NRL and the support that he provides clubs and the welfare officers at each and every club, they do a bloody fantastic job in, in looking after the, the players as well. Yep, sport and sporting clubs should be a sanctuary.
0: Dan Hunt, we thank you for your time. You've been magnificent and so informative Thank you. Thanks
2: very much, guys. Hope you enjoyed and uh, took some away.
0: Thank you, Dan. I am forever learning so much from people such as yourself. And if you want to connect with the Mental Health Movement team, go to www.mentalhealthmovement.com.au. If our conversation today has raised any issues for you and you'd like to get some support, you can call Beyond Blue 1300 22, 46, 36, or Lifeline, 13, 11, 14. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Conversations That Could for okay? and you'd like to share it with a friend or access the resources in our show notes, subscribe to the podcast of The Conversation That Could wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Dermot Brutton, and we'll be back next week. And remember... When your mates bottle it up, a dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Thanks for listening.